Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Monday, November 13th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we're going to have a spoiler-filled conversation about Marvel Studios' latest film, The Marvels. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editors Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And BJ Colangelo. Hi, hi, hiya. All right, so I want to acknowledge up top that this movie did not perform very well at the box office, and a lot of folks online are seem to be taking delight in that, um, in, in this movie's uh, box office failure. And I just want to say, like, if you listeners want to listen to people gleefully celebrate this movie's failure, I'm sure there are plenty of places to do that, but that's not really what we're doing here. Like, we may talk about that kind of stuff as, as you know, throughout this conversation, as it, as it uh, may or may not be relevant to any point anybody's trying to make. But, um, and I'm sure I'll talk with Ryan uh, Scott later this week about the movie's box office in more depth. But uh, anyway, just wanted to acknowledge that up top. But um, uh, let's, also, let's... I just want to add that uh, Slash Film's Sandy Schaefer has a piece going live on Slash Film today uh, about how the sexist and racist uh, backlash against Nia DaCosta uh, for making a Marvel movie that is as bad or as, you know, middling as any other um has been i don't know it's, it's just it's been very dispiriting to see people target me at a cost in a way that male directors don't get targeted for making a middling marvel movie so um yeah we have an article about that going live on the site and you should absolutely read it if you need like some actual facts to back up that it's not her fault yeah. that this box yeah. office happened <laughs> Uh, okay, so before we get into like the beat by beat breakdown of sort of the major parts of the movie, I wanted to go around the circle real quick and do some brief reactions. And Jacob, let's start with you. You mentioned you, you thought this was middling. Is that a fair assessment of your entire uh, response to this movie? Or what was your reaction to the Marvels? Probably a little less than middling. And I, I hate this because there's been such an upswing online in people gleefully using this film as a platform to be a racist, misogynistic ass. And I don't want to be looped with those people for thinking this is a below average Marvel movie. Um, and I had a real rough time with this one. I there are there are moments that work and there are highlights and there are characters and performances I loved, but this thing feels strung together by flop, sweat, and hope. I mean, the stories of reshoots are out there, and if you, I know I've seen enough movies. I know how movies are made to the extent where I can see the editorial stitching together. I can see the ADR. I can see how this thing was edited to within an inch of its life to try to make it work. And maybe it's unfair to the movie. I watched it with people who enjoyed it a lot more than I did. But I could see the seams in the same way I could see the seams when I watched Exorcist Believer uh, a few months ago. Another film that, if you know how movies are made, you can see how duct tape together it is so i i thought this was pretty shoddy and i i i, I like nita costa's films a lot and i like the, the the cast movie a lot i like a lot of the ideas so it brings me no pleasure to say i did not like the marvels all right bj what do you think about this one 
Oh, I loved this movie. <laughs> um, I had such a delightful time with the Marvels. This is my kind of superhero movie. If you are not going to give me something that is incredibly subversive, um, I want it to be something that is just an absolute blast and a lot of fun and brings a lot of laughs. All of the issues that I have with this movie, um, I've said it in our, in our work chat, I said it on Twitter, I, I swear I can hear the studio notes uh, behind all of the things that I don't like. Um, and, you know, I also don't think that the villain is super well uh, thought out, but that to me doesn't feel like a, the Marvel's issue. That feels like an MCU issue because save for like two villains, I think Marvel has a serious villain problem. Um, but the characters were so electric and, I, you know, I might be biased in saying this, but when I saw it, it was in a packed IMAX theater and I was sitting two seats down from 11 year olds and the, just the energy in that room. Like I left with such a smile on my face and in such a good mood. And I genuinely can't remember the last time I left a Marvel movie feeling that way. And so that definitely is doing a lot of its work. I don't disagree with Jacob. I do think I can see a lot of the seams as well. But again, to me, that feels like a, a, a symptom of studio interference <laughs> more than anything, because the stuff that I love, I love enough to not pay attention to that. Okay, well, I find myself between the two of you. I think I, I enjoyed myself at this movie and thought it was like just fine uh, and maybe like middle of the pack Marvel. So I feel like we have a lot of different um, viewpoints represented on this particular podcast episode. Um, I'm curious about the points that you guys have made, though, about the, you know, being able to see the seams. Like I'm, I feel like I have a pretty good radar when it comes to ADR, like really, really terrible ADR. And I don't think, I don't remember noticing it. I saw the movie a few days ago at this point, um, but I don't remember there being any particularly egregious use of ADR or anything. Um, Jacob, do you have any like specifics that you can think of about, and, and again, we're spoiling the movie, so we'll talk about the ending. We can talk about any point in the movie now. Um, was there anything that, that jumps out to you in terms of like uh, specifics of that shoddiness that you were mentioning? Yeah, um it's when they leave the musical water planet, which I conceptually love, but I think those scenes are really low budget looking and the music never really comes together. So that's a whole other thing to talk about. But there's this big chaotic action scene where the Marvels, the three heroes, uh, escape. And I remember not being so sure why they were being chased or who was chasing or what anybody wanted in this action scene. I, f I felt the motivations were incredibly unclear. Uh, so I, I, I felt unsatisfied in the scene. And then they crash land or crash or land, whatever whatever it is, on another planet. And there's this wide shot of the three characters kind of standing there. A super wide shot. We can't see anybody. And you hear like a very, very rushed ADR. Someone saying, well, good thing we escaped to get this and do that. And I'm like, I'm going, oh, wow. this They're squeezing in some very, very fast ADR here to cover the fact that that previous action scene uh, didn't really make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't follow it. I didn't know what anybody wanted. Like afterward, I asked, I, I went to my wife. I said, I'm a smart person. I've seen a lot of Marvel movies. Can you tell me what the villain wanted? Like at a point in this movie beyond, you know, resources. Um, like what was the point of the bangles? What was the, why was it so important to have both of them, et cetera? Why did she put them both on the end? And the answer, we, we couldn't come up with it. It was, it was, and I don't know if we're, Maybe we're dumb. Maybe we're getting old. Maybe our brains are rotting. Um, but but this is to me. This scene was where it, it this 
wide shot of a very, very rushed exposition to try to explain the previous action scene is, is kind of the hinge moment where I realized, ah, they, they, they know this isn't making a lot of sense. I see. Um, well, let's talk about the mil- the the villain because the movie opens with Darbin, this character played by Zawe Ashton, and she is now the leader of the Kree and is searching for the quantum bands, which are, yes, the, the bangles that has have been worn, or at least one of them was worn by uh, Kamala Khan. Um, she uncovers one of these bangles, uh, I think like on the moon of some distant planet or something. And yeah, I just wanted to, I guess, like kick off this conversation before we get into the heroes. Let's talk a little bit about the villain. And, and BJ, you mentioned uh, that you thought this was a relatively weak villain. Um, you want to expand on that a little bit? Sure. I, I think weak is, you know, maybe not the most nuanced word that I want to use for it, but she's a villain that I think is really fascinating. I love the idea of somebody coming from a land that was, you know, destroyed essentially by Carol Danvers and wanting to enact revenge and not just revenge for her and her personal feelings, but what has happened to her people and then becoming a villain. I think that that's really interesting. And we do see that in some other Marvel villains, but the way she goes about it is not fleshed out enough for me um, because yes, she does find the bangle and it's like, well, how did she get here? Has she been looking for this? Is this the specific thing she's been wanting? That's not super clear to me, but the idea that she is doing a lot of things um, to the detriment of her own safety and her own life, as we see towards the end in order to save her people. And she kind of, you know, martyrs herself in that way that I think is really, really interesting, but we don't get enough time with her um, without her motivations being presented as exposition dump for me to be super invested. And it's a bummer because I think her character is cool. I think the way I like, I love the look of her. Uh, Zowie Ashton famously does have a gap between her teeth and the fact that they put like a gold plate between that, I think is so inspired and cool. And it just doesn't, she just, I never felt like she could actually take the marbles down. I was like, Oh, this is child's play. Like you're you're gonna get obliterated by the end of this. Mm. Um, this is just delaying the inevitable for me. Um, so sh- I never felt like a true threat um, for any of our leads because of that. And uh, again, I don't know where the fault in this lies. Um, it's definitely not an Ashton. She's doing a great job with what she's been given. Um, I just I think that Marvel doesn't have super great villains in it, especially when you compare it to. DC, even though I know that's two totally different worlds, but like DC has like the best villains possible. And then mm-hmm. Marvel just doesn't. And this is just an example of that. Yeah, I kind of think the um, like the Spider-Man roster of villains are memorable and iconic in their own way. And yeah, a lot of these like sort of lower tier uh, just broad Marvel villains just kind of don't really hold up super well. But I don't know, yeah. like a, a couple things. So this movie was shot and edited long before the current war in Gaza. But since the Marvels is in some ways about a group of people whose resources have been cut off, I couldn't help but think about current events while watching it. So I just wanted to mention that, like we don't have to go down that whole rabbit hole. But well, I, just I had the to same thought it. when when they're sucking like the water out and everybody is running and they're taking resources. I was like, this hits yeah really really intense uh when i see similar things on my twitter feed right now yeah and like totally unintentional but just like 
I mean, I guess that's that's a depressing uh, reality is that like this movie is probably yeah. timeless because stuff like that has been happening for years and probably will continue to happen for years. But um, but I think what you said earlier is, is right on, BJ. Like it's clear that Marvel is trying to implement the lesson that they learned specifically from Black Panther, which is to have a villain whose cause is righteous, but their methodology is not. And I appreciated the attempt to give the villain a sympathetic motivation here, but I just don't think the character was really well written enough for Zoe Ashton to be able to leave much of a mark. But agreed. Yeah, Jacob, did you have anything else to to say about the villain here? Yeah, I, I think everything everybody said here is on point. It's for me not not a great Marvel villain. I think they've gotten a lot better about about this over the years. Even the villains who are one dimensional are usually really fun, like Kate uh, Blanchett in Thor Ragnarok. But I'm, I can't say the same here. She is a character who is so built around in, uh, a sympathetic or empathetic, you know, uh, cause, you know, restoring her people and saving her planet. Uh, but everything else is just as one dimensional villain stuff as possible. And as a Marvel guy, as a nerd, um, I'm just really confused about how Captain Marvel can literally beat Thanos in a fist fight and reignite a dying sun with the force of her power but still gets her ass kicked on a regular basis by this lady. I never, it, it, the movie fluctuates so wildly in what the characters' abilities are and what they're able to do just to serve the needs of a single scene instead of an overall story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then to me, that's part of it is like, there's, there's a weird laziness to what she actually resembles as a threat and how Carol can or cannot face her. So what I gathered from that was, you know, because she has the bands and the bands almost, like absorb Carol's power. So the reason that she's getting her ass kicked is because she's essentially having her own power strength used against her. That was the justification that at least made sense in my brain. But then of course I then went down the rabbit hole of like, okay, well does this mean that, you know, Ms. Marvel is eventually going to be like one of the strongest, like how does this go? And then, you know, I'm just trapped in fantasy booking land. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Darben opens up these jump points across the galaxy. And by the end of the movie, we realize that she's trying to use these portals to siphon resources back to her home world of Hala, including Earth's, uh, Earth's sun, which I'm not really sure how that would work, like moving an entire sun into a different part of the galaxy and like what kind of after effects that might have. And this movie is not really interested in those details at all. Um, But I don't know, you can kind of like hand wave that away as like comic booky stuff. But the jump points create some sort of anomaly in space. And Carol Danvers, played by Brie Larson, and Monica Rambeau, played by Tiana Paris, end up touching things that they shouldn't have touched and Kamala Khan's bangle slash quantum band ropes her into one of the movie's main ideas, which is that these three women are linked. And I think the rule is when any two of the trio use their powers simultaneously, it causes them to switch places. Am I getting that, uh, the, the technicality of that right? Did you guys, were you able to track exactly how that that uh, place switching effect worked? I don't think it's simultaneous. I think whenever any one of them uses it, they switch with somebody else. Okay. I think, I think I, I it... Think. I think it started with simultaneous and then they were able to like when they have their like intergalactic, you know, <laughs> training montage, yeah. uh, they they learn to control it a little bit better, but it has to deal with the fact that all three of their powers are, you know, connected through energy. So mm-hmm. once that energy is exerted, then they're they're switching. Yeah, I think they use the phrase quantum entanglement at some point, but um mm-hmm. just like is, broadly is the, fact this confu- the fact that we're talking about this this basic plot point and we're all kind of confused by it. I think that says something about how this movie's put together. 
I mean, I, I'm glad BJ liked it. I, I really, truly am. But I, I just, this is the first Marvel movie in my lifetime. Like the first one I've watched where I felt really actively confused about motivations and rules and situations where characters are fighting or dealing with superpowers. I've never felt this way in a Marvel movie where I, where I watched it and felt like, what's going on? I've never been confused by a Marvel movie until this one. Hmm. That's interesting. Even like uh, the Eternals or like some of the, you know, I guess Thor Ragnarok is like just kind of, or I'm sorry, Thor, the dark world is just kind of bad. It's not like particularly confusing, but like. Yeah, I, I, oh, Thor 2 uh, reads crystal clear. It's, it's not a great movie, but I, I can follow it. And yeah. same with, with I, I, I like Eternals actually. I'm on those guys. Um, I don't know. I just, this movie has really good moments and there are scenes that we'll talk about later on. That I think are really, really fun. I just think the whole thing, I think the reason it's 105 minutes long, which is like, you know, good 20, yeah, it's, 30 minutes, it's, it's cut it's to his the bone. Short, it's the shortest Marvel movie. And I think that it shows in the things that we are confused about or the things that are not clear. Like, it, I don't know why this movie is as short as it is because it's not like they don't have, you know, countless hours of footage where they could have let this breathe a little bit. But, you know, Nita Costa doesn't get to make that decision. So I want to know who at Marvel was like, mm, this is going to be 105 minutes because whoever did that is a fool. <laughs> I mean, it has to be box office. It has to be them realizing that this movie was a, was a problem. I mean, whether you like the movie or not. I mean, the, the the fact of the matter is, is we went through extensive reshoots. It was seen as a problem by Marvel Studios, and they did a lot of jury reeking on it to try to fix it. And that's one of the reasons why I feel deeply unfair to talk with movies because I've been I've known more about this movie's production than I've been able to write about in slash film. I'll, I'll I'll leave it there. I've been very worried about it for a long time, so maybe I was kind of just heightened to look for the problems. But a a, a movies get cut down like this to the shortest possible running time when theaters want to squeeze in more showings of a movie to, to maximize the box office. And I, I, I really think that they sacrificed narrative clarity to get three to four more screenings in per day. Yeah. And I, look, I don't know the behind the scenes stuff that you seem to know, Jacob, but I just want to say like typical Marvel process is at least two weeks of reshoots are built in. I think this movie had four Dr. Strange in the multiverse, multiverse of madness had six weeks, I think, or maybe even eight weeks at, at one point. But um, you know, th the idea of like reshoots is not a, a new thing for Marvel. They, they sort of like helped change the entire conversation about what reshoots are in terms of how everybody talks about Hollywood because they are constantly and famously like, fiddling with stuff until the very very last possible second and that's worked wonderful wonderfully in some movies and and not as wonderfully in others so i just wanted to to you know make sure everybody is on the same page about that but um what did you guys think of like the way that the uh the place switching and all of that actually worked i thought that there was some really really cool action choreography where once that montage that bj mentioned sort of out of the way and like we the audience understood that the characters understood how to manipulate these powers and sort of like um you know use the stuff to the fullest of their abilities i thought there was some really really cool like slick looking stuff that reminded me a little bit of like that final uh like hallway fight from guardians 3 earlier this year where like james gunn did this really long continuous shot but it was like all the characters are jumping around and like doing all kinds of cool stuff and it just looked like you know, the, the sort of like uh, classic splash page, cool ass comic book shit that, you know, that this this entire genre uh, or uh, or whatever um, movie type was built on, really. Um, but what do you guys think about how that worked or, or maybe didn't work for you? I uh, loved I, it. Oh, you go. <laughs> I was going to say, I, 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 like, I like the comedy bits. I like early on when I like more was played for comedy in the first chunk of the movie. 
Yeah, I definitely do enjoy the comedy a bit more. Um, but when they do take it into the more serious realms, um, it waffles the line between both being three man tag like wrestling style, which I'm a big fan of for obvious I'm a wrestling dork reasons. Um, but also I love the idea that Carol has sort of solidified herself as this leader and occasionally like they nerf her where they're like, you're not making the right decision and we're going to take this decision from you by switching with you because you're not thinking straight or you're, you know, doing too much. And I like that she now has a system of checks and balances in place. And I like the way that they use that in dramatic scenes. I will agree with Jacob that when they are leaving the singing water planet, which I enjoyed quite a bit more, uh, but that fight scene is where it is a little bit disjointed and the switching doesn't work as much for me because it, the choreography in that scene tells me that 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 is the scene that had the most work done on it because it's nowhere near as fluid or cohesive as the other scenes. But I, I like, I was disappointed and sad when it was like, Oh no, we're not switching anymore. I was like, man, I like that. Do it again. Yeah. So we've mentioned that water planet a couple times, and this is the planet where everyone sings as their primary form of communication. And it's revealed that Captain Marvel is married to, I think, like a prince of this this planet or this country or whatever. Um, what did you guys think about that uh, that plot point? J- uh, Jacob, is this part of the movie that you enjoyed or were you like totally out on, on this whole vibe of the film? This should have been a knockout. This should have been so good. The idea that Captain Marvel is this princess who's married to a singing prince on a seeing water plant everybody communicates through song and dance it's such a great idea it's so wacky in a good way but i think the choreography isn't that good the song and sing- the songs and singing aren't that great the set design on this planet looks really really tv it looks really like secret invasion level streaming mcu not a million dollar movie i i feel like with this idea they should have gone all in this should have been like a full-blown spectacular they should have had they should have hired like the the, the frozen people to write some great songs but instead it just feels like everybody kind of showed up and just sang some dialogue i bj you're a musical nut i mean do mm-hmm. you think this do you think this was acceptable because I, I don't think it was so here's the thing i love the fact that it looks the way that it does that the song is not this like giant like blowout like disney level of of amazingness because the people in my life that i know that love musicals and love singing they're constantly just making up songs to describe their existence because this is their language like there's even like the joke where the prince can speak normally and she goes yeah he's bilingual like to indicate that singing and speaking are two different languages so the songs that you sing they're not always going to be end of act one giant show-stopping chorus number sometimes they're going to be a little goofy and like it it almost adds to it because it's not like a massive number because if it was a massive number, then you have like this, wow, oh my gosh. But it makes it so normal at like, with how pedestrian it is, almost. But um, they're greeting their princess. They're, 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 they're I, but I love it. <laughs> I just love it. I think I thought it was so cheesy and great. Like there's like such a community. Like it feels like community theater. Like because this is like a lesser than planet, so I don't expect Broadway caliber. I expect fun, and I expect like the heart and energy. Um, it very much has the same energy of like. <laughs> Like the people that are in like the tribe in hair or like the people that are in, you know, the the traveling group in a godspell where like 
some of the stuff y'all are doing is whack. And like, I love you for it. And I cannot wait for people to start cosplaying in that Captain Marvel princess gown. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, BJ. I, I, I found myself just like right down the middle again on this one. I, I will say that, um, Jacob, I, I do feel like the set design there, it kind of feels like they just like found a corner of the Universal backlot or something and just kind of, or like a, maybe even like Universal Studios, the theme park or something and and just kind of shot some stuff and it wasn't like, I don't know, for, for that to be like the, um, presumably the, the capital of this planet uh, you know, where, where royalty lives or whatever. I didn't really get that vibe from it very well. So I don't know. It just felt maybe a little little rushed or something. It reminded me of a season one episode of Star Trek Next Generation where they build one set and move the walls around to make it look like a city uh, in various shots. Um, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm forgivable. I'm forgetting that one's on my TV. For, for, um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I just felt the whole movie feels small. The whole movie feels a little cheap. I mean, I thought Ant-Man 3 felt a movie that people piled on for, for looking cheap felt more polished and large and exciting than the Marvels. And I I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm I think probably it was the a... visual effects probably in Ant-Man. Like that movie is so VFX forward and the Marvels obviously has like a ton of VFX in it. But like, you know, that it did actually feel like characters were walking around on real sets and stages for, for a lot of it. Whereas it, um, Quantumania kind of felt a lot more like the stuff was shot in the volume and it just has like, it's been zapped of all life and personality. And I think, you know, say what you will about this movie. I feel like it does have some personality to it. So at least that that's, uh, I don't know, at least that's a plus and it's, it's um, personality. There's one character we haven't discussed yet who, who keep, who lifts this movie up on our shoulders and sprints sweating and heaving with, but, 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 but always smiling. Can we talk about Miss Marvel? <laughs> yeah, actually let's take a break and then we'll come back and talk about Miss Marvel. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Okay, so yeah, well, let's talk about Miss Marvel. Let's talk about how this movie dealt with the relationship between the three women at its center. So, um, BJ, what did you think about uh, Iman Vellani as Miss Marvel in this film? So, Iman Vellani is a superstar, like unbelievable. She absolutely carries this movie. This is her movie but I love the dynamic that we have between the three of them because Carol Danvers is obviously like she's not the most emotive human on the planet um and that is uh, that's that is her role and then you have Monica who is very much you know she's seen some weird stuff but she's also very practical whereas like Kamala is a teen girl and an unapologetic teen girl at that and she comes with that same level of energy that turned people like the Beatles and Elvis into superstars because you can fuel a country off of the energy of a teen girl. And she is so magnetic and the three of them really work well off of each other. Their humor really works well off of each other, but she is without a doubt the star of this group. Like it's undeniable. And the fact that there are so many people 
ragging on this movie because they don't like her performance like just say you hate girls and go like I don't know what else to tell you because you can hate every aspect of this movie and that's fine that people are entitled to their opinion people are like you're unquestionably wrong if you think that she's not an up uh, just giving a masterful performance in this movie. Are people saying that? Are people? I, I've heard yes. a lot of a, a lot of nonsense about this movie from a lot of people looking for reasons to rag on it. And I feel like my reasons for ragging on this movie all come from a practical, level-headed place. Whereas uh, Kamala Khan is maybe my favorite MCU character in five or six years. Straight up, absolutely magnificent character, magnificent performance. Oh, yeah. No, this is unfortunately a very real thing, um, you know, not to you know shout out to her competitors or anything. But if you read any of the reviews on the other big sites that are written by women, uh, the comment sections are atrocious. And it is predominantly at Ms. Marvel, not even at Brie Larson this time, uh, because they just want to dunk on a young teen girl. There was even uh, a, a higher named uh, critic, not going to name names, you can find it easily if you Google, that was basically saying that like the Marvels is a movie for teen girls, not comic book fans, as if teen girls can't also be comic book fans. Like it, mm. like People are just saying the quiet part out loud with this, which is why I feel, I think, a little extra defensive of it, and that probably... like. I I definitely walked out of the theater feeling like, okay, I feel like seven and a half, eight. And now I'm like nine. <laughs> this is where I'm at now because a, I'm just an indignant. extra point due to spite. <laughs> yes. Um, spite is a powerful motivator in my life. Look, I, I think Kamala is awesome. And uh, she was great in the TV show. And, and Iman Vellani is just like next level, exactly the type of energy that I want to see from an MCU project. So I, I was thrilled with every second she was on screen, basically, in, in this movie. Um, I thought she was awesome. I, I, I was curious about what you guys thought about like the dynamics between these characters, because I thought that the Monica and Carol stuff was pretty well handled, like the, um, the WandaVision uh, appearance in, in that show implied pretty heavily that there was some unfinished business between those two characters. I thought all of that was resolved fairly well and and was well and good, but I kind of feel like the movie missed an opportunity to further cement how bad an idea it is to engage in hero worship because early in this movie, there's this fun animated sequence that is meant to represent Kamala's drawings and her fantasy of meeting Captain Marvel and becoming best friends with her and all that stuff is really fun. And I love the style of all that. And then when they actually get into this action situation on, I think the planet is Tarnax and try to evacuate some of the scroll population. And Carol makes this decision to leave some civilians behind in order to save who they can. She kind of snaps at Kamala a little bit and apologizes for it. And, you know, a few scenes later, but Kamala basically opens this movie idolizing Captain Marvel and then ends this movie idolizing Captain Marvel. And I kind of thought that, it may have been more interesting to deflate Kamala's idolization a little bit more. Um, as I'm saying it out loud, I, I realize now that that's not exactly a fun idea. And Kamala no, you're, has... You're, you're right, though. Um, you're 100% right. I, I, we spend so much time building up to the reveal that Captain Marvel is essentially a, a, a war criminal and that she's making all these tough, horrible choices that Kamala, who's been you know a street-level Spider-Man type figure up till now, uh, hasn't had to deal with. I mean... This movie, I really wish it had been, the journey would have been going from hero worship to peer. Like, you know, hey, yeah. you, uh, and I don't think that's there. In fact, I think that, I think, the whole, I think that Monica's relationship with Carol is also a little half-baked. I feel like considering how much pain she's clearly in, it's brushed off so quickly that I, 
like I, said, I think this is the issue with the movie's pacing is that it's in such a hurry to be 105 minutes long that if it gets to let these characters have the journey I think the movie wants them to have. Instead, it's just a lot of things happening very quickly. Mm. What do you think, BJ? So I do agree with I wish that there had been more between Carol and Monica, but at the same time, like Monica has spent many, many years dealing with this. So you know, this is a little bit newer for Carol to process, but Monica has sort of mourned that. It's obviously still sensitive, but like she's nowhere near it, where she was, you know, WandaVision years. Um, but as far as the hero worship thing, I love that she starts with hero worship and ends with, you know, still seeing her like a hero because I can only say this for myself. Um, and I'm going to absolutely make this about me. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've been writing about film for much of my life. And there are people that I am a massive fan of that I've been fans of for many, many years that I now get to work alongside in a professional capacity. I still see them as heroic. I still see them as like, I, like your work changed my life. And I'm so thankful to you and fortunate to you. But the difference now is I don't look at them as like like a concept like it's not theoretical um i'll use an example like kevin williams is not a theoretical person to me anymore as as he was as a teenager who wrote these slasher films that meant everything to me i've gotten to meet him and talk to him and have conversations with him and i still view him as a hero at the same time i know that he's a human and like i think that's what we're dealing with here with kamala is that she does see that like carol is not the like this infallible being that she once thought she was she is messy and she is complicated but she's still a hero and that's something that is very important to her because it also then lowers the the the, the pedestal for for kamala herself of like i can also be captain marvel and be this heroic one day because i'm also going to make mistakes and now there is room for me to make those mistakes because that's the big problem we have with hero worship is we put people on these pedestals and then if they fall then it's destroyed. But if you understand that like they are they are imperfect and they're going to make horrible decisions, sometimes the worst possible decisions you can make, if you give them the space to fix it, that's a good thing. And now Kamala can do the same thing for herself. She can also recognize when I'm on my hero journey, I'm going to mess up and it's mm -hmm. okay. Like that is really, really good messaging in my opinion. I'm just not convinced it's in the movie. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that to it, BJ. I'm, I'm really glad that you got that out of that. But that feels, I know, if the movie had touched on this or orbited this idea, I think that could have been a really powerful way to close out the relationships. I, I'm, just, I'm not convinced it's actually there in the film. Yeah, I think it is. It's just not it's not as much as I wanted. Like, you know, she, she has like that little bit of a conversation, I think in that same scene, Jacob, that you alluded to earlier, where they like crash land on that sort of uh, abandoned planet where you mentioned the ADR. And I think she says something like, you know, I, I, I was coming on too strong in the beginning. And like, I didn't give you room to be a human, like space to actually, you know, be a person in my mind in, uh, instead of just an idol. And I just, I don't know, I wish that maybe the, the movie had doubled down on that idea a little bit better to either like, either go hard in the other direction where like Kamala is is um, more, um, you know, uh, disillusioned by seeing Carol deal with these gigantic world spanning consequences or whatever, or maybe underline that that sentiment a little bit more than it did in this movie. And and that probably goes back to the runtime issues that we were talking about earlier. But um, anyway, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything you said, BJ. I just like wish that the movie would have communicated that a little bit better, but 
Um, I mean, it was crystal clear to me for what for what it's worth. <laughs> okay, all right, good to know. Uh, so let's see. Um, Sam Jackson on a space uh, space station using Florkin kittens as escape pods. That's like a whole. <laughs> A big chunk of this movie. Um, I don't know. I don't really know what there is to say about Sam Jackson in these movies at this point. It's just kind of like, I guess there was one point where it was exciting to see him. And maybe this is secret invasion uh, lingering after effects or whatever talking, but I just kind of like feel like he was sleepwalking his way through this movie. There, there weren't really any great moments for the character. I'm not sure if it was purely a script issue. Um, he didn't really feel like he brought much life to this performance. And then I don't know, the whole, the whole kitten thing just kind of felt like um, a very calculated uh, Disney fied thing to sell merch to me. Um, it didn't necessarily seem like uh, a very organic um, story point. I mean, I, I appreciate the cleverness, I guess, of using these uh, creatures that can eat a bunch of people basically temporarily as escape pods. Like, it's a it's a fine idea on paper, but like in the execution, it just kind of felt like, okay, this is an excuse to sell toys. But um, I don't know. What did you guys think about uh, Sam Jackson and the flirting kittens? Um, BJ, let's start with you. Oh, I felt the complete opposite. Um, <laughs> I loved this scene. My only beef with this scene is that they use the Barbara Streisand cover of memory and not uh, Elaine Page because that's my favorite, but that's, you know, being nitpicky here. Um, but I... Sam Jackson to me there there's two things happening with his performance is that one I think Sam Jackson is absolutely he's shown up for a check at this point and you know what get your bag I don't care about that <laughs> like I just I just don't um but to me this performance it is very evident to me that this is a performance where he has a black director. Um, just the way that he delivers some of his lines, the way that some like additional AAV is incorporated into his language. Um, it like, he feels so at home in this, which is why I think like he's way more laid back because he's very comfortable. Like it's to me, it read as comfortable more than anything. Mm. Um, but in terms of the actual cat stuff, I thought it was hilarious. The juxtaposition of Samuel L. Jackson surrounded by kittens is really funny to me. Um, I love the, you know, just massive giant, you know, Lovecraftian tentacle mouths coming out of these cats. I thought was really funny. Um, anything to do with memory is going to make me laugh every single time. Um, yeah, I, I had a blast. I was just cracking up like to the point of almost being in tears. I was laughing so hard because again, this is the kind of like nonsensical superhero stuff that I live for. And I, you know, I don't know the behind the scenes of, of how this movie was, but I wish that that energy was the energy that they could have had throughout the entire movie. But I feel like that never, like sh there was no way in hell Nita Costa was going to be able to get away with that between having the musical number on the water planet and then having, you know, cats eating people set to a song from cats. Like there's no way they're like, you, you got to give something for, for the other people, for the other fans. Mm -hmm. But that scene, I was like, this is for me. This was built in a laboratory to make me happy. And I'm happy. <laughs> Jacob, what'd you make of uh, Sam Jackson and the Florkin kittens? Uh, my favorite parts of the movie, honestly. Um, I thought the fucking cat cats to be very funny. Uh, that whole sequence with the cats eating people, uh, chef's kiss, great stuff. Wish movie had more of the energy, but also I think Sam Jackson is quietly hilarious in this movie. Like the the best line, he's lines, so funny. <laughs> uh, the black girl magic line, um, had me laughing. There's a moment where Carol and Kamala switch places, and 
all you, you very quickly hear Sam Jackson say, "Oh, it's Carol," and it just made me. Like Sam Jackson being, being being utilized as a comedic force in this movie is something that we've never seen with Sam Jackson before in these movies. Usually, he's there to be as serious as possible. But Sam Jackson is one funny guy, and this movie's at its best when it's being funny. I, I found it so dramatically inert, as I've already discussed, but it's I, I found uh, Kamala Khan and her and her family to be hilarious. I found Sam Jackson hilarious. The cats all hilarious. Uh, it's, when I, this movie is the first Marvel movies in Thor Ragnarok to really, for me, connect on a comedic level. And I just wish that maybe the drama elements, the dramatic elements, maybe were more like Thor Ragnarok, where they played secondary to the comedy. And maybe, maybe it would have saved the Marvels for me. I don't know. But as a comedy, I thought this movie was, was very successful, which is, you know, I, this is why I'm so bummed out that the rest of it didn't work for me. Um, Okay, so moving this along a little bit, uh, eventually Darben gets a hold of both of these quantum bands and is nearly killed by the power of using both of them at the same time, and she sort of inadvertently rips a hole in the multiverse, and Monica convinces Carol to make amends for destroying the Supreme Intelligence and basically causing a Kree civil war by flying into Hala's sun and reigniting it with her powers, which... I don't really know how this works. I don't think the movie knows how it works. I'm, I, I mean, I, I guess I like appreciate it on paper, but in the execution, I, I was not really, I was just kind of like, okay. <laughs> um, I don't know. BJ, was this like a, a resonant moment with you as somebody who liked the movie more than I did? This is one of the moments that I do have issue with because it feels so unbelievably rushed. Um, I wish that that moment had time to breathe of like, well, why haven't you done this already why haven't you tried this yet um that i think could have used a little bit more uh, introspection before actually doing it because it does feel a little like and everything is good the day has been saved thanks to the powerpuff girls like that's (laughs) kind of how the ending feels for me and again it's one of those things where it's like i have no idea what this looked like, you know, a year and a half ago and whether or not this was something that was added in the reshoots because they wanted to have, you know, the, the, the better ending or if this was something that was a bigger plot point. I have, we, I have no idea. None of us will ever know mm-hmm. um, until somebody writes an all, a tell all book and then I will consume every single page of it. But yeah, <laughs> it, it, this, this is the moment for me that I was like, eh, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So in the aftermath of that, Kamala and Carol supercharge Monica, who flies into this newly ripped multiversal hole to close it and ends up being stuck on the other side. And, um, you know, the the score soars and it's supposed to be this sort of emotional moments. And I I guess like on a superficial level, like I I felt it a little bit, but I, I don't know, part of it just kind of felt part of I guess this decision I guess is like emblematic for me of like um the MCU machine kind of kicking back into gear instead of letting this movie breathe and tell its own story and be its own thing it was kind of like okay here's the thing where they're setting up for future events or whatever um so uh, I don't know we can talk about a little bit more about that when we get to the mid-credits scene in just a minute but uh I guess the Khan family they're living in Louisiana now. Is that right? Like their house was destroyed. So they're just like moving into. I, th- I thought they were moving Carol into her new house, moving as Carol moves into her friend's old house. 
Yeah, so that's another thing that where I was kind of unclear about that because there was I think there was one shot where somebody was moving a box and I was like, is that Carol's stuff or their stuff? Because their house seemed to be destroyed. And then I was like, if this is them moving to Louisiana, that's a pretty big move from New Jersey, just like culturally speaking. And and you know, is that the movie just is not interested in interrogating that at all? So no, I mean, it, it makes more sense that it's just the Rimbo. This is a Rimbo family house. I got the impression that Carol, after years of going around the galaxy, has finally gone home. It's gonna to put roots in in the place where she had actual family okay. and the cons being new family are helping her move but this is also never explicitly clear i only realized this because my wife loves captain marvel and i've seen it like 10 times so i know that house at the back of my hand so i recognize it immediately okay but, but the movie does not hold your hand on this at all so it's very okay clear. i think i think you're probably right and i just like i think it's clear misread. when when they're bringing in the boxes because mama con lifts up that giant plate of Carol and the prince from the water planet. And she compliments the quality of this plate. Oh yeah. So that's when, you know, like they're moving in Carol's stuff. Okay. All right. Yeah, this is great. Okay. So I'm, you know, I was going to cut this part out, but I'll just leave in my ignorance. I'll just leave this part of the conversation. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So uh, the movie ends basically with Kamala going to recruit Kate Bishop, who uh, is the, I guess the new Hawkeye. Um, she appeared in the Hawkeye TV show. She's played by Haley Steinfeld and was great in that show. And I was curious what you guys thought about this, the ending to this movie where Kamala basically becomes Nick Fury and sort of recites that speech that he gave to Tony Stark uh, at the end of the first Iron Man movie in an effort to try to recruit Kate Bishop into what is very clearly meant to be a setup for a young Avengers team up, if not a full on movie, then some sort of, uh, yeah, team that that will pop around from project to project. Um, Jacob, what do you think about this? I love the Young Avengers. I love those characters. I, lo- I love the um, version from I guess maybe fifteen years ago now uh, that kind of kicked off that that, uh, that whole team. Um, I guess my issue is that I even like Haley Steinfeld as the new Hawkeye, but I just automatically think of all the Disney Plus shows as being disposable in the second tier, even the ones I really like. Like I, I really enjoyed Loki. I really enjoyed Moon Knight. But by default, I think of all those character storylines as being stuff that doesn't matter. And asking me to care about the new Hawkeye at the end of this movie for a six-episode TV series I watched two years ago, and not even a movie, felt like a, a lot to me. It, it felt like it's asking the audience to care about Disney Plus shows in a way that I don't think those shows were have been good enough to make us care about. So I guess the question is like, but Kamala worked for you, right? And she appeared first on a Disney Plus show. But I, uh, skipped, so do you think... I skipped Miss Marvel, Ben. Okay, I so skipped, I was going to say, I was like... so burnt out in Marvel. So burnt out in MCU stuff. I skipped that show. And now I'm going to go back to watch it because I liked, I liked uh, Kamala so much in this movie. Okay. Um, but so it, it's that's how little I care about the Disney Plus shows. <laughs> yeah. So what do you make of this uh, this ending, BJ? Oh, I thought it was so funny. I really like Kate Bishop. I also am just a genuine really big fan of the Matt Fraction comic series. So Kate Bishop is, as a character is somebody that I just love. Um, I thought that the, her becoming Nick Fury is so funny, but what really, really got me is when she's talking about them being teens and Kate Bishop goes, I'm 23. Like that just, <laughs> for whatever reason, really, really got me. I thought it was very fun. And I am fearful that a Young Avengers thing is going to be shoved into like a Disney Plus sort of show. Um, But I think it was 
um, Rafael Motomayor, who wrote an article when the Marvels came out that was said like the Marvels is kind of like a decom, like a Disney Channel original movie, and that's a good thing. And if they keep that energy, I'll be totally fine with it because I view Ms. Marvel and you know New Hawkeye as kind of having a similar relationship between like Margot Robbie and Mary Elizabeth Winstead in in Birds of Prey, where like one of them is a little bit unhinged and like kind of manic. And the Mm. other one is like, please take me seriously. And Mm -hmm. I love that dynamic. I think that's very fun. So for the two of them to be the ones that are kind of kicking this off, I think is great, but I have no idea what they're going to do with it. Like they deserve a movie, but I feel like they're going to get a Disney channel show. Yeah. I wonder if like they have a young Avengers movie lined up, but they just didn't want to announce it in advance because that would be, you know, sort of tipping their hat too, too much about like, it would essentially be spoiling the events of this movie, right? If they were to say a year ago or whatever, Hey, we have this young Avengers project coming up. So maybe that's going to be like a secret project that's announced that's coming out way sooner than anybody thinks. I don't know. It's all speculation, but Um, okay. Let's talk about the mid credit scene. As we get close to the end here, Monica wakes up in this medical bay that is overseen by none other than Dr. Hank McCoy, AKA beast. Once again, played by Kelsey Grammer. This Kelsey Grammer re, uh, you know, rejoining the MCU is not something that I expected from this movie at all. Um, Monica's mother, Maria Rambo, played by Lashana Lynch, is sitting at her bedside. But this is an alternate version, uh, alternate universe version of the character who did not die during the five years that Monica was blipped, and she apparently has no idea who Monica is. BJ, I know you wrote an article about this, so can you tell me? what that costume was that Maria was wearing at the end of this. Sure. So she's binary. Um, and binary is basically an alternate universe, Carol Danvers. So what we're seeing here is, um, Marie Rambo, uh, Marie Rambo with what is assumed to be the same level of power as Carol, uh, which is very, very cool. And there's no such thing as too much Lashana Lynch, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm very pumped, um, to see where that is going. Um, and the, the Kelsey grammar thing in my heart of hearts, like I want, I want it to be that they were like, we just really love beast. But part of me is like somebody, you know, at, at Marvel HQ was like, you know, that Frasier reboots come in. Maybe we should call up Kelsey. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm very curious about like the, uh, machinations that went into getting him back into this and like what, if any uh, availability or, or involvement they want him to have with the future of the MCU. Um, Jacob, what did you make of, of this mid credit scene? And like, uh, well, I guess we'll, I'll just leave it at that. What did you think about this? Um, I used to like build my life around Marvel mid credit scenes. <laughs> this one made me roll my eyes and I'll tell you why. Uh, it's that we're spiraling toward a, a movie based on secret wars. It's been announced, which is a, you know, universe shattering, all kids come together, fight uh, each other and enemies storyline where depending on which version of the story you're doing, the universe gets remade. So it's so clear that the that the MCU is going to be trotting out all these 20th Century Fox X-Men characters for one last hurrah. We're going to ride our X-Men nostalgia one last time for a couple more movies and then grind them in the dust and reboot them with new MCU X-Men. And I, I X-Men The Last Stand is a very bad movie, but Kelsey Grammer is really good as Beast in that movie. Uh, I really liked him in a practical makeup in that movie. He looks terrible as CGI here. Uh, but I... What kind of... The lack of faith in your own shit to say, 
look, here's Beast from a movie you saw 15 years ago. Remember this? Enjoy it. As opposed to having the nerve to bring in your own X-Men. I'm just kind of flabbergasted by Marvel, which for so long was celebrated for running circles around the X-Men movies, is now begging us to, you know, begging us for adrenaline hits <laughs> by bringing out X-Men characters from movies we don't like. What's yeah, it happened, in, it happened in WandaVision too with Evan Peters uh, as Quicksilver, you know, being from that sort of universe and brought in as well. And it's just like so fascinating the way that Kevin Feige is choosing to play this, like slow playing the introduction of the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's like, I, I don't know, it, it's, yeah, I, I guess... The, the the only thing that makes sense to me is what you said, Jacob, like they're laying the groundwork for secret wars or some sort of, you know, big project where these exact characters that the Marvel studios and Disney pays all of these actors, a ton of money to come back and play these roles, you know, these characters one more time, just because there's that recognition that's built in. And then they're going to, you know, recast and, and sort of start over after that. But it's just, a fascinating choice like they didn't have to do that and that kind of like mm-hmm. speaks to the whole disney ethos which is just like hey remember this thing which like everyone from you know disney the disney animation all the way into disney live action stuff like remaking the the animated uh, uh cartoon movies and all that and then like lucasfilm is really bad about this too like they're so obsessed with iconography and like making sure that everybody knows and and recognizes the thing and like wanting people to just clap in the theaters for seeing the thing. Um, this is, you know, a, a disease that Disney has had for a long time now. And I, I would have thought that Kevin Feige would have been above that or or smarter than that. But it seems like they're just leaning more into that. So it's, I don't know, I, I guess it's, um, you can make a value judgment on whether, whether or not that's good or bad. But it's just like fascinating. From oh a, yeah, they're, um, they're just drowning us in member berries at this point of yeah. <laughs> just trying to make sure that we know everything. And like, I'm of two minds about it because I agree with Jacob of like, yeah, uh, you know, have just have the gumption and just give us a new beast. Like you don't need to just trot out these characters that we, you know, recognize from 15 years ago, like just own it, like own your Mm -hmm. new stuff that I think would have been, you know, really, really exciting. It would have been a great way to introduce a new character for sure. Um, But then at the same time, um, people hate change and people like to live in their weird little nostalgia bubbles. And if you dare to do anything outside of it, they freak out and review bomb your movies and like make threats on the internet. So it's like, as much as I want to be like, you know, just do it, like change it, make something new. I also understand like people would have been rioting in the streets if it wasn't Kelsey Grammer. So it's like, you kind of can't win, but at the same time, that's just because we live in a culture where we always bend to the lowest common denominator and we really need to stop doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, fandom I mean, I, has been coddled to too much, but go ahead, Jacob. I, I guess part of it, I, I kind of understand the weird appeal of for Kevin Feige here, which is master producer of his, of, of the past decade, 15 years, um, being able to have the power and the creative influence to be able to say those other Spider-Man movies, the one, one with Tobey Maguire and, um, Andrew Garfield? Yeah, they're probably the MCU. They, they, they weren't when they were made, but they are now. Those Fox X-Men movies, the, the ones that, you know, kicked, kicked everything off that, you know, um, I had no creative control over. They're probably the MCU now. I, the, 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 there's a big, big dick energy to that that I admire. And, and <laughs> that saying is that, true. That retroactively, yeah, they're they're my universe, motherfuckers. You, you belong to me now. I admire that. And 
maybe I could I could be a little more forgiving if the actual core Marvel movies were better. If the yeah. if, if his own house is being minded and Marvel was still delivering consistently good to great movies, which it did for a long time, then yeah, bring in the X-Men, bring in the nostalgia play. Lean on that. Let's see Hugh Jackman suit up one more time for Secret Wars. Let's 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 see it. Come on. Uh that that that, that would be exciting if if he wasn't minding if he was minding his own house and he's not. And then that's a yeah. problem. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I agree with that. Um, do we have any closing thoughts about this film? Anything that we didn't get a chance to talk about and that uh, you guys wanted to mention here? Um, Jacob, we'll start with you. I probably came off worse than I intended to. Um, this episode, if I had to give it a say, if I was reviewing this, I'd give it like a 6.5 out of 10, uh, maybe a 6 out of 10. Um, I'll give it a, a very, very, very vague passing. Uh, but there was a time where I think even the most average Marvel movie was like coming out 7.5, 8 out of 10, like, you know, sometimes higher. And we've been seeing a lot more six, five, six out of 10 Marvel in the past couple of years since Disney Plus yeah. started. And not to break it down the numbers like that. I hate to break it down, you know, the, the ratings, but it's an easy way to talk about it sometimes. I just miss when I knew that going to a Marvel project, I was guaranteed a good time. Uh, at, at, at worst, a pretty good time. At best, Avengers Endgame. And <laughs> I... I just felt this this was the drop in quality has been consistent and I wish it wasn't. I'm so glad BJ liked this. I'm, I don't want to take away from her enjoyment at all, but I'm, I think this movie deserved a lot better. I think Nia Costa deserved better. I think this cast deserved better. So that's me. BJ, any closing thoughts here? Yeah, I definitely agree. Nia Costa always deserves better. <laughs> um, any of the movies directed by marginalized directors always deserve better um, because they have to deal with an absolute shitstorm uh, the second that they come out. But um, Jacob, you have no worry. Your feelings on this movie will never change how I feel about this movie because I don't let other people influence my feelings on movies. <laughs> um, so people can at me until they are blue in the face and tell me how wrong I am for liking this movie. I'm still going to like it. And there's literally nothing you can do about it. <laughs> Love it. Uh, queen energy right there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would say that I, even after this conversation, still feel pretty similarly about the movie as I did going into it. Sometimes you guys are able to like sway me pretty drastically in terms of like uh, opening my my mind to different levels of thought that I, I never uh, pursued for a certain movie or whatever. And this, I feel like, is just kind of the movie that it is. And, and I wish that there was um, maybe a little bit more to it. And I, I wish that maybe it was a little longer to have more breathing room and, and more ability to sort of uh, enhance that personality that I do think, you know, c- comes through the cracks a little bit here and there. Um, but yeah, I still, I still enjoyed this. I would probably, if I had to rate it, Jacob, I would probably give it like a, I don't know, a seven or seven and a half or something. So we're probably like not too far off in, in terms of, uh, you know, how we uh, think about this movie, I guess. But like some of these things just, just um, rub you harder the wrong way than they did me. But uh, it is possible is that I am just more of a die in the wool Marvel guy. So I take maybe quality dips incredibly seriously where we where you're enough of a mature adult to say yeah it's still fine <laughs> well i don't know about that that's very kind of you to refer to me as a mature adult i don't know if anybody who listens to this podcast would <laughs> would agree with that but um but yeah you I think the so. movies that are in black and white you're incredibly mature <laughs> 
uh, it's a very small, uh, a low bar to clear, BJ. But um, but sure, I'll take it. So I think that's going to do it for today's episode. You can find more about the Marvels at SlashFilm.com. We have a bunch of articles going up uh, or are up on the site already about that movie. So I encourage you to click around and, and find something that uh, that may tickle your fancy. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing in the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you could find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.